Hey everyone, welcome to the AI Education Conversation, where we talk AI, education, and everything in between. I'm Daniel Lopez. As we take this learning journey together, I invite you to join the conversation at the AI Ed Convo on Twitter. Let's jump in. back everyone. It's been a pretty exciting week on the AI front with a lot of new developments as to how we're going to be using AI throughout a lot of the different technology that our world likes to interact with. I've got a really exciting episode for you today. Uh, we're going to focus mostly on thinking about the use of AI beyond ChatGPT. Just in my learning journey as I've been able to learn more about AI and some of the technology that exists out there. You know, ChatGPT is really cool. I'm starting to see a lot of ways that teachers, many educators are using this inside their classroom and uh, the many ways in which they do work. But what I've also learned in this experience is that there's actually a lot of other pretty cool tools out there that I'm not sure if you've heard of, but I want to definitely make sure that we dig into today beyond just some of these uh, language models that'll give you kind of a text response when you ask it a question or when you ask it to do, sus to do something. So that's really exciting. I'm ready to dig into that. Before we do, uh, I want to just kind of uh, keep you in the know, keep you up to date on some of the, the big updates and happenings in the world of AI um, and what's happened since the last time that we've talked. So first and foremost, uh, Microsoft. And so if you had any doubt that AI was here to stay, if you had any doubt that this thing was going to be something that was going to make its mark on society and be something that was around for a while, this should hopefully give you a, a very strong signal that AI is here to stay. Microsoft has uh, invested $10 billion additional funds in their, into OpenAI, the company responsible for ChatGPT as well as other AI products that will be coming out in the near future. In addition to that additional uh, $10 billion, because my understanding of this was that Microsoft has already been an investor in OpenAI, so this is like an additional investment of funds into OpenAI, the company responsible for ChatGPT, is now they're, they're working very closely with OpenAI to integrate OpenAI's technology into all Microsoft products as, essentially as soon as they can. And so really what that means is anything uh, related to the office suite. So those folks that, like myself that use Excel frequently, the, there could be a world very uh, near in the future here where instead of having Clippy or anything like that, a little pa talking paperclip to you for for us old folks from back in the day, instead of what you might have is some kind of iteration of ChatGPT that says, hey, how can I help you? And when you're looking at your spreadsheet or you're looking at your Microsoft Word document, you might be able to just ask it some questions or say, hey, populate this for me. Hey, make, create, uh, make this table for me using this data. And it'll uh, essentially be able to do that for you. Now, again, this is just me speculating. I don't know if that's exactly uh, what it's going to look like, but based on just my familiarity with ChatGPT, how I've used it so far, that's how I can imagine that they're going to use it. The other way that I know that they're planning on using it is they're planning on integrating ChatGPT into Bing. And so a lot of people have speculated that, oh, well, this actually may be uh, Bing relevant, right? So almost everybody I know, myself included, we use Google to for a search engine to be able to find and, and discover new things. Nobody uses Bing, right? All of a sudden now, if Bing decides to incorporate something like ChatGPT and it allows it to kind of just do some different features than what it used to look like before, where it was just uh, comparison versus Bing versus Google and just looking at the search optimization. Now, all of a sudden, maybe there are some folks who are interested in using Bing or, or at least exploring what it has to offer because of this. So Microsoft kind of coming in the clutch here and really, I think one of the first, one of the first big companies that I've seen so far to really signal 
just a big integration use across the board here. There are a couple of other companies that are starting to use it. And again, just kind of additional data here that folks across the board are interested in this use of technology. They're interested in bringing it into their products. They're interested in bringing it to the user experience as they think about just finding ways to make things easier, making things more efficient. Some folks may know this one. If you don't know it, I'm, uh, you, you might recall it from if you go on Etsy or some of these other places and they constantly have these fancy little resume templates and some other tools, but Canva is a pretty well-known software design platform and they have a lot of different templates from resume temp templates to templates for handouts to templates for flyers. Canva is a really cool tool. I use I use it a lot in my current role uh, here with OneGoal and I used it a lot when I was a teacher as well to create pretty nifty looking graphics and handout you know, for my classroom. But they have also added AI into their platform as, as users will be using it. The way that they're using it is a little bit different though. Instead of it being kind of a a text response type feature, what they're actually doing, and I'm, we're actually, this is kind of a little bit of preview for what we're going to be doing later in today's episode, which is actually doing a little bit of experimentation with text to image features. In addition to just getting those text responses, AI, what's really cool about AI is a lot of these companies now and a lot of this technology allows you to enter some keywords, enter a prompt, and you can actually get back some images, right? Or some other types of products based on the prompt that you enter. And so Canva has added a text to image feature which uses the AI model Stable Diffusion. So that's kind of like one of the big players out there, uh, one of the models around this text to image feature. And essentially how it works is if you're on Canva, let's say that you want a particular image for your flyer, right? Or you want a, a roaring tiger or something like that. You enter those keywords and it'll generate images for you that you might be able to just pull and put in there. A custom unique image just for you that you can use and feature on your portfolio. And so definitely can imagine a lot of folks have some interest in this. I know a lot of times when you know, I was a teacher, if I was creating some PowerPoints for my students or, you know, for a compelling slide deck, sometimes I would want to include images. And obviously you, you, your initial reaction may be to go to like Google images or something like that and see if there's an image that may remark, but obviously there's potential copyright implications there. But now you don't have to worry about that. If you're using some of these custom AI imagery, you can now go on there, you can create your own images and it allows you to do that uh, without the fear of copyright, without the fear of replicating someone's image. And it's something that you can use to create, again, more visually stimulating experiences experiences on your PowerPoint or, or on your flyer, wherever it is. So some other updates on the, on, on the AI front here, uh, BuzzFeed. So I know a lot of us know BuzzFeed from those quizzes and those little nifty articles that keep us in the know on pop culture and everything else out here. BuzzFeed recently announced that they plan to incorporate more AI into its news and business operations. Uh, that was a memo sent pretty uh, late last week, actually, the CEO sent to his staff. And what makes this really interesting is, so <laughs> the first thing I had thought about when I saw this, this update was about a few weeks ago, maybe actually closer to Halloween. So my team and I at One Goal, for one of our icebreakers, I had like my whole team do a BuzzFeed quiz. And the quiz that I had them do was, which Hocus Pocus character are you? And so a lot of folks on my team and myself included were really happy that Hocus Pocus 2 had just come out. And there was this quiz that allowed you to kind of, you know, answer a few questions and based on your personality or based on your actions or the image that you like. And I know a lot of us are very familiar with BuzzFeed quizzes. Based on that, it allowed you to see which character you're closely with. And a lot of the folks on my team were pretty frustrated by their response because they got Mayor Trask as they, their character. And so some of my Hocus Focus uh, plans may, uh, friends here may laugh at that one. But essentially the reason that that, that was a, a borderline offensive response is that, you know, Mayor Trask is this little bit of a cornball character that is in and out for maybe about 20 minutes of the second movie and is not really any kind of significant character 
in the in the plot, right? I think everybody doing this quiz expects to get, you know, either one of the old witches, one of the Sanderson sisters, or one of the, the younger witches. And so who knows, maybe this type of technology will allow these surveys to become even more personalized, more nuanced, and actually give you some responses that feel pretty good rather than these kind of cookie cutter, not not that exciting responses on there. And so uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens kind of on the BuzzFeed front. We'll see what happens with some of these other uses so far. Now, as you can imagine, with the investment that Microsoft has made and really getting kind of beefing up all of its products using OpenAI, you can see everybody really uh, quickly here rapidly responding to the AI explosion and, and trying to tool up what is what Google has also responded to this. And you can imagine Google, obviously, one of the big players in technology. It is really, really important for them to be up to speed. And I, and one of the, the biggest kind of other indicators that AI is important is apparently a couple of weeks after ChatGPT exploded and one of the biggest kind of like signs of, of concern for Google that had been mentioned was the uh, daily download. There was a statistic that came out probably closer to November when ChatGPT had been released that had shown that it had taken a lot and, they, and there was kind of a comparison point. And I'll, I'll kind of post this on our Twitter so that you all can visually see it. But it kind of shown the the time, the amount of time it took for a lot of these big companies and these big products to get to a, a million like downloads, a million users. And so it kind of had like Netflix as an example, as I think it showed them as a couple of weeks or a couple of months to get to a million downloads. It showed actually Angry Bird as one of the, the quickest ones as a couple of weeks. And then it showed it shook Jet, uh, Chat DPT about a week. Chat GPT relative to a lot of the other big products and the big uh, experiences that are out there uh, amassed over a million downloads, over a million kind of like users logged significantly faster than a lot of these other software products and experiences that are out there. And so Google uh, issued a kind of like an internal code red within kind of their organization and they've made some other updates. So in addition to kind of issuing this, go, this code red, having some dialogue around what they need to be doing to accelerate their uh, development of AI, they're also reorganizing their AI unit. We've seen a lot of like layoffs at Google surrounding, you know, just like broader layoffs. I'm not exactly sure if all those are related to AI or not. I highly doubt that they are, but I know that they're paying very closely uh, attention to what's happening with uh, ChatGPT and OpenAI and some of these other products that are emerging here. Google also mentioned that they had 20 planned projects for this year on the AI front. One, one example actually of such product, which is again, kind of jumping into this, this idea of what else out there is there, right? Beyond ChatGPT and just getting a response to your response. They also kind of announced that they, they have this learning model called Music LM. So this isn't available for public use yet, but Music LM, what this is, is it allows users to type in a language description very similar to ChatGPT, right? So you're typing in your prompt, but now the product that it's gonna give you is actually some music, like high quality music based on that. I, again, I haven't used this yet, but I'm uh, I'm just kind of like looking a little bit of what the, the product says that it can do, but really what they say is that users can type in a natural language description of what music they'd like, including a number of instruments and the system of outputs, high fidelity audio. Users can also sing or whistle or hum a melody, so I could probably be like, <laughs> and it's gonna like use instruments to make a pretty cool sound doing that. Apparently this model too was trained on over 280,000 hours of music and it's able to produce tracks of varying genres, instruments and concepts. So this will be really interesting to see as well how this affects a lot of careers out there. I can imagine for you know folks that are in advertising, marketing, even in education as well, that having a tool like this, being able to generate unique sounds and unique uh, tracks based on uh, entering a prompt or entering some instruments that you'd like to hear, kind of that idea in your head and being able to get something to produce, that's going to be really exciting and, and, and makes make some workflows really efficient for some folks as well. And so I think like beyond some of these other quick hits, the other thing I wanted to mention was just what's the, what's the landscape uh, discussion right now? So as you can imagine, 
you know, initially when ChatGPT came out, there was a lot of just dialogue and conversation. There was some initial bannings, as we talked about in our first episode. Uh, a lot of folks worried about plagiarism or worried about this producing assignments for students and it essentially taking away any type of learning. Uh, but I want to I want to take us into the field and I want us to hear a little bit of what folks that are actually uh, working with our students, working with students in K-12 or working with college-level students and what they're saying. I think teachers are still grappling, that's no doubt, but one thing that I found really interesting is there's this professor in the Wharton School at uh, the University of P Pennsylvania, his name is Ethan Mollick, so definitely would encourage you to give him a follow on Twitter. He has some really interesting ideas as to how we can continue to use AI. He's a business professor, so really focused on students in that lane, but what he actually initially did is he actually added an AI policy into his syllabus. And I know that there were a lot of folks talking about his, syllab his syllabus as a really clear-cut way to be able to provide some guardrails for students as to how they could use this technology. And I'll retweet the kind of like snippet of his uh, syllabus on our Twitter. So you can definitely follow and read the full thing here. But high level, what he had mentioned and what the policy he'd laid out was is that he essentially mentioned to his students that he actually expects them to use AI Chat GPT image generation tools at a minimum in this class. In fact, some assignments will require it. He said, learning to use AI is an emerging skill, and I provide tutorials in Canvas about how to use them. I'm happy to meet and help with these tools during office hours or after class. He also put a, a kind of a caveat there. He said, beware of the limits of Chat GPT. If you provide minimum effort prompts, you will get low quality results. And this is something I've definitely seen too, and I know a lot of folks have mentioned this, one of the initial uh, concerns of chat GPT. A lot of people have said, oh, well, the responses that are kind of shooting out are a little bit fluffy or it's a little bit broad and it's not really specialized to like my particular kind of classroom or my particular knowledge area. And I think that's true, but as you continue to provide more specific quality prompts, it does give you more specific answers. And I think he kind of alludes to that here. He also mentioned you'll need to refine your prompts in order to get good outcomes and that, that this is going to take work. And that's absolutely what I've seen as well. He also says, don't trust anything it says. If if it gives you a number of facts, assume these are wrong, right? Unless you either know the answer or can check in with another source. You will be responsible for errors or omissions provided by the tool. It works best for topics you understand. So again, I think this is a really great caveat, but also a really, really important skills that we need to be teaching our students, which is don't take anything at face value. I know that there's a lot of concerns right now about chat GPT and the fact that the veracity of a lot of the information it gives may not be spot on. But this is true for other things too, right? And a lot of times we, uh, you know, we as society will go on to Wikipedia, we're going to go on to Google or these types of things and search and read some articles and then we're just taking that at face value. We're going on to news, right? Major news outlets. And then we're assuming that these are these things are true. But the reality is, is we need to be taking that same skeptical lens. We need to be taking that same uh, lens of, of leading with curiosity, but also making sure that we do some fact checking when we're reading any of those things. And so this really aligns, I think, well, and this is, I think, a really critical just piece of information that uh, Ethan is sharing as it relates to not just a, how, how we should be using AI, but really across the board, right? We need to make sure that we are uh, looking at things responsibly and fact checking before we make any assumptions about the information that we're receiving. And we need to make sure students understand that, especially given how fast now information is developed, how fast facts are populated in today's world. We can't obviously control the, the flow of information between social media, between the news, between the internet, between uh, now AI that's popping out there. But what we can do is encourage students to pause, think, reflect, ask yourself, does this actually make sense? Follow up with multiple sources to see if some of those things align. And then the last kind of couple of caveats he throws out there, he also says, AI is a tool, but one you need to acknowledge using. Please include a paragraph at the end of any assignment that uses AI explaining what you use the AI for and what prompts you use to get the results. Failure to do so is in violation of academic honesty policies. 
I thought this was really cool as well. When I'm looking at this, it feels kind of like an, an up-to-date, a 21st century equivalent of a works cited page, right? And so I know many of us thinking about our own school experiences or thinking about uh, what we're asking students to do when they're crafting an essay, especially an informational essay, right? Is you have to kind of cite the sources that you're using. Oftentimes it was very frustrating to do so, but it's very helpful to see those sources, right? It shows that you were thoughtful. It shows that you went to a multitude of different places to get your results. And obviously now there's, there may be some questions about in a world where we're using AI and it's, it's synthesizing maybe a lot of the information that it's receiving from the internet. It's not necessarily one individual source. How can we acknowledge that in some way? And I love the idea he mentions here about listing some of the prompts that you use, being able to just acknowledge the ways that you use it. For me, that feels like a really uh, great way to be able to bring in some of this acknowledgement piece. And then lastly, he kind of mentions here, be thoughtful about when this tool is useful. Don't use if it, it is not appropriate for the case or circumstance. And so again, I think this goes back to everybody's biggest fear, right, with ChatGPT, especially in education, which is that essentially students were going to figure out how to uh, just ask this thing to craft a product, craft an essay, craft, work on my homework assignment, work on this flyer, work on whatever the homework assignment or the deliverable is I need for class without any kind of thought given to it. Not only is it, is it not always as easy as that as it seems, or it's not going to give something that is necessarily an A product depending on the class or the content that you're doing or the assignment that you're doing. But I think going back to the original episode that we discussed, I think a lot of times when students have the opportunity to use this type of technology and you're being real with them, you're being authentic with them, you're not trying to hinder them and say, well, we can't use it. This isn't something that is going to be helpful for us. But instead of saying, hey, we know that these tools can be helpful, but you also want to make sure that you're continuing to develop your skills. You're thinking about how you can be great and then trying to like use this as a tool in that way. I think oftentimes if you're able to have those conversations with them, you can get to a point where students are being more thoughtful about when they use it and when they don't. Now, obviously kids are kids, right? And they're going to find ways to bypass the system the best that they can to, to be doing the things that they want to do, playing the video games and doing some of the other things that they're interested in. And I would also name that for this particular point that he lays out, I do think we're still trying to figure out and be thoughtful about when this tool is useful and when it isn't. So I think the answer to that question may still not be 100% clear, but I think just like naming that, being able to showcase for students some of the ways that we're even using it in the classroom or, or some of the other fields that we hold in education, some of the other jobs that we hold, it'll at least give them some other additional clarity as to how folks are using it. And the reality is, is that this continues to evolve. You know, in addition to looking at Ethan's syllabi here, I've, I found quite a few examples from teachers as to how they've been able to use it in the classroom that I wanted to share with you all. Because again, I think the, some of these are just really cool and innovative and, and worth mentioning here. And so I did retweet all of these teachers on the social media as well at the, the AI Ed Convo on Twitter. So if you're interested in giving them a follow, let's give them a shout out as well. They're working really hard in the classroom and deserve honor for their really cool, innovative ways they're trying to bring some of these things to their students. But one such example was from a, a teacher and what he had wrote was that he had used ChatGPT to write a story with the actual school mascot that they had. He didn't say specifically what type of bird it was, but he'd mentioned that it was a bird. He wanted to write a story with the specific bird mascot that they have, discovering, and it was essentially a story about this bird, discovering the physical characteristics of a bird for fifth grade students. So was, I, would, I can imagine, he didn't post the story, but I would imagine things like, oh, I discovered that I have wings. Oh, I discovered I have a beak. I discovered I have paws, or not <laughs> paws. Uh, I discovered I have claws, right? And being able to show show that with students and 
I would imagine is maybe some type of science lesson or figurative language lesson. So I thought that was really cool. And the nice thing about being able to use ChatGPT to generate this is oftentimes I had just thought about how teachers were given examples for how to teach certain lessons, right? So in any good lesson, obviously you want to spend maybe a good five to 15 minutes going through your initial key points, right? The skill, the topic that you want to be able to cover. Now, oftentimes some of the examples that you may have may require the teacher to self-generate those examples, right? Because either the examples provided in a textbook or in a lesson plan may be a little bit generic and we know to actively engage students, we're going to need to do something that's a little bit more specific than that, right? Do something that, you know, either uses one of the students' names or uses a mascot, uses something that you know. And I just thought this was a really great example of that teacher hopefully saving themselves a good 10 to 20 minutes of time in developing that lesson plan, but obviously creating a story that was going to be very engaging for their students because it's more personalized based on the things that they care about. So just turning to another response, another teacher had mentioned that they had actually used, I, I thought this lesson was very interesting. It was kind of more of a, a metatype lesson here. He said that I had them write research topics in class with Google school databases and ChatGPT. Then I asked them to write a reflection talking about the strengths and the weaknesses of each method. So essentially, those students were able to actually visually see, right, if I'm producing a, you know, an essay on the impact of social media and I write one using Google school databases and ChatGPT, I would imagine that very quickly there, they, they're, they're going to be able to learn about the quality of each of those which ones are more engaging, which ones have maybe more quality arguments or solutions, and then which ones feel a little bit weaker or more vague. And so I just thought that was an additionally really cool way. It also gives the students an opportunity to, again, to start to learn a little bit more of that digital responsibility, right? They're going to be able to see the, the strengths and the weaknesses of each tools and maybe determine real quickly. Actually, when it comes to this particular tool, it is a little bit vague. I, I don't know that I always do trust the answers because I was able to compare it to these and I saw that this was a stronger answer. So jumping to another one here, we also saw here another teacher had mentioned that this teacher actually didn't use it, but they had kind of provided an anecdote related to one of their students at their school. She had mentioned that a student had loaded a social entrepreneurship project from last year into ChatGPT and asked ChatGPT to find everything wrong with the solution that they had recommended. And apparently the, that student then used the list to, to uh, flaws to redesign the project and build an amazing new prototype designed to connect grandparents and their grandchildren. Again, like this, that for me felt like a really great, excellent example as to like how all of us as learners, we can use this tool for good, right? Use it to take some of the ideas the innovation, the projects that we're working on. And rather than have it do all the thinking for us, use it as a tool to help bypass some of the thinking, help it to check some of our blind spots, be able to ask it questions, have a little bit of a, of a dialogue, and then use it to enhance some of the things that we're creating. And so big kudos to that student for using it to uh, strengthen one of the projects that it had from last year. So this is what I've seen from the field so far. I mean, again, this is, it's only been about a week and all of these things are happening in the classroom and kind of across, across the landscape here. I'll continue to provide updates in our episodes so that you all are in the know and you feel up to date regarding all of the developments regarding AI, both in education as well as more broadly, as we start to think about how some of those tools may end up making its way in education. So beyond that, I did also want to dig into AI beyond learning language models, right? So we've obviously talked quite a bit about ChatGPT. We've talked a little bit about how that's going to be a tool that we're using to create text, to create content in that way. But in the last couple of weeks, what I've also learned is there's some pretty cool tools out there. I mean, I've, I've already alluded a little bit to it with like the, the Canva tool with Stable Diffusion, you know, even with what Google's doing with Music LM. What's really interesting about some of these models is you can not only type a prompt and receive text, but you can type in a prompt and receive other things. Uh, one of the tools I wanted to highlight today was Dolly 2. 
Now, if you have a ChatGPT account, or even if you don't, if you actually go to openai.com, this is the same company that develops ChatGPT. On that same website, they're gonna actually have a different tool that you can access on there called Dolly 2. If you click on Dolly 2 and you go in there, very similar to ChatGPT, there's kind of like user interface that opens, right? And it's kind of like, for the most part, a pretty blank white page. And then it has another search bar, very similar to ChatGPT. Now this time though, when you type in a prompt, instead of giving you words back, it's actually gonna give you pictures back. If you're curious what this looks like, as just as an example for today's episode, what I ended up doing is I ended with a very specific project in mind. And I'd asked a question earlier of the week, and I'm gonna to continue to do this on social media. So I would encourage you if you're interested in kind of informing what these episodes look like, if you're interested in allowing me to play around with some tools and see how we can use it to help all of our colleagues out in the field in there, definitely would encourage you to go on there and respond to some of the prompts that are coming up there. But what, what I'd asked earlier in the week is just, I'm, I would like to do a school mascot actually using this technology, using Dolly tool for a school out there and just what mascot should I do it on? And so the one I ended up picking was a tiger. Big shout out to one of the high schools that I served Taunton High School. Their mascot is the tiger. So I figured I would design it with Taunton in mind, something that would look kind of cool and edgy and something that could be, you know, thrown on a football uniform, but also used on a school mascot and flags or anything like that as well, or on a brick wall in front of the school and those types of things. And so I took a shot at doing this. Now, just as a quick caveat, some of the examples that I'm throwing on the Twitter so that you all can see kind of my products, some of the inputs that came out. It only took me about two and a half minutes to do this, right? And I, I don't have any sort of marketing, you know, kind of image generation skills. This was not me like playing around or doing any kind of specific things. This was purely me entering words into a prompt and then seeing the pictures that were generated from that. So I put a couple of different uh, images there so you can kind of see how it evolved, but very similar to chat GPT. What I had learned in, in the experience of playing around with Dolly 2 is that, you know, the quality of your prompt matters significantly. I started off first by putting tiger mascot for a high school logo. And I just wanted to see what popped up when I did that. So if you go to the Twitter, you can see kind of the logos that I have. One and first thought when I was looking at some of them, I thought they looked pretty good. I, I, I thought just given the fact that I'd entered five words of text, given what popped up, given that these were unique images that were mine, I thought that they looked okay. What I was looking for a little bit more specifically was something that just, again, felt a little bit, ed little bit edgier, a little bit something that students would be really excited to have as a part of their uniform. So I kind of modified it with that in mind. So as I did a couple of additional iterations of this, what I ended up entering as well was Roaring Tiger with a crown on its head. And then I also put, I, I tried to put a couple of like features that I thought would help like educate Dolly to on like the kind of like vibe or feel that I was going for it. So I put mascot logo for high school again. So it had a sense of that. I also put symmetrical because I noticed a couple of the logos were kind of like felt off for me or felt like they weren't totally standing upright. And then what I ended up adding is esports feel. Some folks know, may know what I'm talking about here, but esports is obviously like this whole new genre of sports that are popping up with a lot of organizations designed around video games out there where there's like organizations organizations and sports teams being created around like the playing of video games. And what I've noticed is like these esports groups and teams, they have a very specific like kind of look and vibe to their their logos, which kind of looks a little bit techy, usually usually uses a little uh, quite a few bright uh, colors, looks a little more animated. So I was like, if I enter that, I think it might give me a pretty cool design that might resonate with a lot of the students, you know, the high school students that are at Taunton High School. And that's what I entered there. And then you can kind of see there the final result of about three generations that I got there of image prompts there. The one caveat that I wanted to mention is I wasn't quite able to figure out the text piece. So it, at the bottom of the a lot of the images that I had, you'll notice that there's some text, but it's not making out like any real words. It's like just random letters that are placed there. 
Now, I know that there is an edit feature on Dolly 2, which I wasn't 100% able to figure out. Someone who maybe has a little bit more experience in advertising or marketing will probably better understand it than I will or graphic design. If you go into the edit, you can use kind of like this eraser to scratch out certain pieces. And then my understanding is if you scratch out those certain pieces, you can then like retype a prompt and then it'll fix that part of the photo with some of the added things that you did. So I tried to do that. I tried to go in where it had some of those random letters. I tried to like erase it and then I put, I want the text to say Taunton. And I did that and for some reason it didn't work. So I'm sure that there's a way to bypass this that I just don't know right now. If I did maybe a little bit more learning on how to do this, it, it may have yielded a, a little bit of a quality response, but I wanted to just give you all a sense of how you could use this. Now, just as, as a quick other caveat and update for you all, this is free, right? So Dolly 2, as of right now, you can generate quite a few images for free. So if for some of the upcoming projects that you have at work or in your classroom, you wanna generate some cool images, you wanna encourage some of your students to do so, you can actually go on to OpenAI's, use Dolly 2, you, you'll need to create an account, you'll need to link it to an individual phone number to do it. So it may this may be a little bit more applicable to teachers rather than trying to use your whole classroom just for kind of like that additional step that may create a barrier there. But assuming you can do that for your students, it's really cool. I mean, you can, like I said, you can enter some words and it's gonna give you some images and there's likely a lot of different ways that you can use this. When I'm thinking specifically about how this could be used in the classroom beyond what I used it for, which was just trying to create a, a new spruced up logo for my high school, the, the big way that I thought was actually just kind of in supporting visualization when it comes to complicated text in the classroom. So I have kind of quite a bit of experience supporting English language learners, just even as when young students in particular, they're learning some of those foundational reading skills, right? They're learning not just how to do that pronunciation, reading words, but actually trying to comprehend what that means and doing some of that really important visualization, right? Where they're able to put some of those pictures in their head and be able to see the story come to life. I can imagine a skill, a tool like this being really helpful for that. Just to give you an example. So in my experience, a lot of times, when students are reading a little bit more complicated text, or let's say like an older type text, let's imagine like a Lord of the Rings type book or a Harry Potter type book or something like that. There will oftentimes be some complicated descriptions of characters or like old words in the verbiage there that students don't understand yet. And I can imagine this tool uh, being helpful there. So an example of that is let's say that there's a book out there and a student's reading it and it says something like the elder elf was immersed in a translucent cloak with a leather sheath underneath the cloak, which carried sapphire em emblematic dagger on it, right? And so as you're reading that as a student, if there's like words there that you don't recognize, you're not like, oh, I'm not exactly sure what that means and what the, what how to picture that. I can really easily imagine you being able to almost like copy and paste that exact passage into this and then it generating kind of like some kind of character that you can look at there to be able to kind of understand what's going on here with that character. And would definitely encourage some of my educators if you have students that are uh, struggling with some visualization or going into a lesson, let's say that you're like, there's already some words that I know that may be uh, complicated for students to understand in this upcoming lesson, you can make your own images here. You could say, hey, when you're thinking of this elf, I want you to think of this character. When you're thinking of Count Olaf from the series of unfortunate event books, I want you to think of this. Now, he's probably a bad example because he's already been in movies and things, so you could easily pull some of those pictures. But again, if there's some text out there where it's a little bit difficult and you know students are going to have difficulty understanding or kind of putting a picture to it, you can use this tool to help you create some of those visualization or encourage students to do it. So the second tool I wanted to just highlight for today was a website that I haven't played around with too much. Uh, but the concept of it sounded really cool. And it, as I was watching a couple of different videos, it seemed like a really promising technology as well. So the, the second website that I wanted to bring attention to is called Synthesia.io. And so Synthesia is a text to video 
generator now. So now ramping this up even further, right? Now, not just text to image, but actually generating full video. So how it works is exactly as you think it would, is how it sounds. What essentially it allows you to do is to generate, if you, if you basically put in a prompt, it will generate a video with actually like a real person, not a real person, but a AI created model figure that looks like a very real person, but is actually not a real person, which is even more wild when you think about the use of some of these products here because it looks like a real person. I Now, the best way I can describe it to you is for a lot of my folks out there when you see some of those like human resources training videos, like you got to do some of those like sexual harassment or workplace conflict uh, type videos for like a school district and you see kind of someone who's there and looks looks dressed all professionally and is walking through some of the learnings with you. It looks kind of like that. And so it like has like a pretty static background. It has like a person there and it's doing this presentation. But again, all of this is generated by AI. It's not a real person. It's not, none of that is like grill and so it looks like something you know would have taken hours to record like a big camera or anything but it's not that and all you have to do is give it a prompt to like work through and read so initially when i was thinking about this i couldn't help but wonder if this if technology like this could help support some of the the capacity issues that we have in schools like oftentimes when i'm at school districts and having conversations with some of my school leaders to this day i mean the biggest issue that i know a lot of them have is just the shortage of teachers, the shortage of teachers, the shortage of personnel in the school, the fact that so many teachers, especially during certain periods of the year, can be absent. There could be like really high absences in the classroom. And obviously the impact of that is there's going to be a lot of substitute. Just in my experience, when I was a teacher and I had to miss a, a day of school, it was actually really stressful for me. And I'm sure a lot of teachers can, can relate to this. But the reason it was really stressful is because I had to make sure that I did the best that I could to create an environment and to create essentially a lesson plan for that substitute that was like pretty low lift just because you didn't essentially know what type of person you were getting when it came to a substitute. It could have been somebody that was a little bit more motivated, more hands-on. It could also sometimes be a person that walks in and just kind of thinks of it as like, I'm just going to kind of be there and observe. And as long as students aren't getting into fights and doing things like that, that's okay. But I'm not essentially going to go out of my way to ensure that learning is going to be happening. And so you you do have like those two types of individual folks that could show up. And so in my experience, like to ensure that students were always learning, I tried to make those lessons as hands-off as possible, right? So that there wasn't a lot of like teaching that had to happen, but it was more that either they were going in and continuing a project we had started before that day, they were going to continue something that we had been previously discussed, or it was something that with very minimal instruction, they can they can start, they can get going, they can work either in a small group or individually or in pairs to make something happen, right? Now, though, I think something like this technology could help to maybe add, add a little bit more bandwidth there to do something like that. So just imagine you're a teacher and you're like, well, I really think it's important that we're doing this lesson and there are a couple of things that I like to teach students, but I'm not going to be there and I don't trust that. And so now I can imagine you can generate a prompt of like, hey, here's how you do multiplication. Here's, you know, the way that you work through it. And then it could even provide like a couple of key points, like to do multiplication first, you, you want to start off this way. Then here's an example of how to do it. Then here's another example of how to do it. And then you can actually type all of that into a prompt. You can enter it into Synthesia and it can generate a video for you. And I can imagine if, if that video is, let's say, five to 10 minutes, you what you can even ask your substitute to do now is, hey, I've generated this video. I want you to show this video at the start of the classroom to my students for five to 10 minutes. You can also include instructions in that video. So you can even have like the, uh, you know, the robot or the, the AI being like, hey, at the conclusion of this video, I'd like for you all to get into pairs. During those pairs, you are working on these three things. You have 15 minutes to do so. After that 15 minutes, we're going to come back, right? And so you can even, I, I would imagine, kind of put some like 
behavior modification type language in there so that they know what type of act, uh, activities that they're doing as they're working through this. Now to, to make this even easier for you also, let's say that to generate kind of like a fully scripted prompt feels like a lot of work. Now remember, you could always use ChatGPT to use that too. You can really make your life easier on this, right? So let's say that you're like, oh, well, it feels really frustrating to make a, a two-page prompt to create this video. You could, if you go to ChatGPT first, say, hey, I have this lesson on multiplication. Can you create a step-by-step -step script that I can use to walk my students very precisely through each one of these steps so that they learn how to do it? You can have ChatGPT do that. You can obviously go through it, check it for understanding, make sure that those steps look good, make sure you feel good. If you don't like it, you can add follow-up prompts. You can say, hey, make the step shorter, clarify step three, those types of things. You can get that. Then if you want, take the script that ChatGPT produces, then go to something like one of these text-to-video generators like Synthesia, you can enter it there, and then you can have it read based on that. So that's kind of the cool thing in the, it, that is created with a lot of these platforms that are out there now is there's a lot of synergy in between them too, right? You don't have to do the work of creating the full prompts. You can use another product to then generate that, to use it there. And so that was just my initial thought. What, you know, if you have any ideas as to how Dolly 2, Synthesia could be used in the classroom, I definitely want to hear your opinions on those as well. The goal of this, as, as I've mentioned before, we want to, I want to make sure that as AI continues to develop, we're using it ethically, we're using it responsibly. But more importantly, I want to make sure that these products are used by all of those folks in education. You all are working so, so hard to make an impact for our students, for our teachers, for our families out there. And you deserve great tools out there, quality tools that are going to make your life easier. And so hopefully some of these tools that I've mentioned today have made your life easier. If you have any ideas, please feel free to give us a follow as well on Twitter so that we can continue this conversation. And with that, I'll see you next week.